Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, we have Lloyd and Jan. Oh, Lloyd sat down. I thought he'd gone. We have Lloyd and Jan with us this morning, so we'd like to welcome them and look forward to uh, what is in store. Oh, good morning, everybody. My, my wife made me walk down this morning, and so I'm just warming up a bit. It's a lovely morning, though, isn't it? And uh, I bring you greetings from Histon Baptist Church, where we normally worship, and they send their love to you and pray for this service this morning. And we're going to begin our service by standing to sing the hymn, Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. Paula and David are going to introduce a PowerPoint of Lydia's trip to Africa. Thank you, Lloyd, for allowing us to very briefly hijack his um, service plan at the very last minute. Um, As some of you know, our daughter Lydia, who is currently in Zurich, so that's nice for her, um, is about to go on a trip to um, North Africa. And she only went on the training weekend last weekend. So she's only got the information now. And as she isn't here to share it with the church family, guess what? She's asked mum and dad to do it. As I was just saying to Simon's mum and dad about how your responsibilities never end. So um, I'd be really grateful if we could have the PowerPoint, um, Dave. Thanks. And we're just going to whiz really quickly through this. Don't worry, it's not going to be death by... Death by um, PowerPoint. So Lydia's going to be um, volunteering with an organisation called Reach Across, um, and their mission is, um, is with Muslims um, across, across the world. Thanks, Dave. Um, yes, so just a few facts. 60% of the world's poor are Muslim, 80% of the world's refugees. I mean, that's so topical at the moment, isn't it? Um, 80% of the world's refugees and um, have a very poor human rights record. Thanks, Dave. Um, And just a picture of the world. Those are the world's Christians. Next slide, please, Dave. And the world's Muslims very much um, concentrated um, towards the the east. Thanks, Dave. Next one. I don't know how how easily you can um, see this. The point of this is to illustrate the ratio of missionary work um, to uh, to different faith groups or none. And and as you can see, basically, Muslims are rather underrepresented in terms of, um, of, uh, of, of missionary work. Thanks, Dave. Um, where Lydia's going to be is called, in a place called Djibouti, which I had never heard of, so um, I'm sure you're better at geography than me, but I'd never heard of it. Um, as you can see, it's um, on the west coast of Africa, thanks, uh, east coast of Africa, sorry, in the north, and um, right next to the Red Sea, and it's, um, it's really hot. Um, uh, next slide, please, Dave. So um, Lydia hates the heat, so um, interesting that she's ending up, um, ending up in this particular country, but it's... It's, um, uh, you know, bordered by Eritrea, Ethiopia and Somalia. Thanks, Dave. Um, and this is just to show the, the, um, the, the evangelism, really, in this, in this uh, area of the world. And uh, Djibouti is down there at the bottom in terms of Christian um, evangelism. Thanks, Dave. Um, she's going to be in a city. It's quite a built-up city. That's a picture of it. Next one, please, Dave. And there's a lot of poverty. There's lots of poverty in the city. We'll see some slums in a minute. And there's also um, uh, real issues with um, providing food. Um, this is just another picture showing the city bordered by the water. Um, this is a slum, slum district, and there's another one of the same sort of area. Um, and this is an area that um, reach across um, work in. Thanks, Dave. Um, next, one. next one would be great, thanks. 
Um, they run a medical clinic in the slum area, and next one please, and also a language school. And it's the language school that Liddy's going to be working probably with sixth form age um, Muslims. Um, and uh, there's also a library. So there's, there's a mixture of healthcare plus um, providing education. And next one please, Dave. Um, and there's also um, Bible translation that's been going on for, for, for many, many years and is, um, is ongoing. Next one, please, Dave. Um, this is just an illustration of something that Reach Across have set up, which is now being run by locals, which is a uni hockey league. So there's leisure and, you know, it's not all about health and there's fun as well. Thanks, Dave. And there's also, um, they've been involved in an irrigation project um, providing these pedal pumps, which, next slide, please, Dave, which... Um, and the next one, please. Which just this is the sort of before and after. You know, there's very little arable land in this part of the world, and if you can't if you can't grow food, you can't you can't survive. So they're doing a mixture of work, um, but Lydia's going to be involved in the language one. Thanks, Dave. Um, so we just I just wanted to let you um, let you know know about this. And the, the, the life expectancy. One of the slides earlier on had a life expectancy, which was that in the. Can you remember what the life expectancy was? 62. Okay, so life expectancy in Djibouti is 62. Anybody know what the life expectancy in Cambridgeshire is? Yep, early 80s, probably about 82, 83. Women, women fare better than men, but it's about that. Anybody know what the life expectancy is in inner city Glasgow? Probably, you know, late 60s, early 70s, just so that you know that there's a massive health, health divide in this country, which is the thing I'm quite passionate about, but yeah, just worth thinking about. So um, actually, the life expectancy in Djibouti used to be a lot lower. The first set of slides Lydia had that have been upgraded um, put it more in the sort of late 40s. So obviously things have improved, so that's good. So I just wanted to give you a quick overview of what Lydia's going to be doing. She's going from the end of February um, for just over five weeks, and um, I'll leave some leaflets, but you know, most, many of you have known Lydia since she was before she was born, or just after she was born, and this is her church, she's grown up in this church, and um, you know, she would be really, really appreciate the prayers and support of this church while she's, while she's away, hopefully there might be some updates if there's some Wi-Fi, and I mean, if anybody, she is self-supporting, she's, she's sending herself, so if anybody wanted to support her in any way financially, then please do, do, um, do let us know. Thanks, Lloyd. Thanks for letting me do that. I'll leave the leaflets on that table there. Do you think one of the little ones might come and give me a hand? Yeah, come on. Now, do you... Do you ever find it's difficult... We've got two. That's good, isn't it? Do you find it difficult to, to say things sometimes, to think what to talk about? <laughs> well, uh, shall we start again? <laughs> sometimes you're better than, you're cleverer than I am. Sometimes I find it difficult to know what to say to God. When I'm praying, do you ever find that? No. <laughs> well, I have a way of remembering things. Now, you think, can you put your hands together like that? Let's all put our hands together like that, because I'm different. <laughs> so, what, what of your hands are nearest to you? The what? No, what's, which, which one is nearest to you? 
What's that called? The thumb. And the thumb reminds us that we have to pray because it's closest to us. We pray for the people who are closest to us, for our mum and dads and brothers and sisters and all those we love, those people close to us. That's what the thumb reminds us of. Does it? Yes, good. And what's the next finger? Do you know what the next finger's called? Who knows? The index finger. And the index finger is used for pointing. My wife tells me off for pointing. (laughs) Have you red and blue fingers, have you? And the, the pointing finger reminds us that we pray for the people that point us in the right direction. For our Sunday school teachers, for Kate, the minister in the church, and for those who lead us and tell us the good things about Jesus and about the gospel. And what's the next finger? Do you know what that is? That's the tallest finger, isn't it? The important finger. And this reminds us to pray for those people that are important in our lives, for our teachers at school, for those who... I'm the actual, because I'm the four. You're four? Yeah, I'm the four. Nearly four, are you? Do you go to school? Is it? Birthday in March. Not long to go. (laughs) But that reminds us to pray for those people who lead the country and tell us all the good things and teach us things. And the next finger, do you know what the next finger is? What's the next finger? If you have a pianist, it will tell you that the next finger is the weakest finger. Is that right? Is that right, John? The weak... Michael. I think I'll go home. (laughs) Michael. Um, But the weakest finger reminds us to pray for those people that are feeling weak, those people that may be ill or lonely, or our friends that might be down in the dumps. I've been swimming. Have you been swimming? (laughs) That's good. That's good. So that reminds us... I said you have trouble talking. (laughs) (laughs) And so that reminds us to pray for those people who are not feeling very well, who are sick. And the next finger, what is that finger? Pinky. It's called pinky. And that's the smallest finger, isn't it? And that reminds us that we can pray for ourselves because God loves us and he wants us to talk to him and pray for ourselves. Pray that we'll be good boys and girls, that I'll be a good boy. Am I a good boy? Oh, good. (laughs) And so remember that When you pray, if you don't know what to pray about, just put your hands together and think, 
of the thumb and fingers that lead our prayers. That's very good. Shall we give them a clap? Because they did very well. Don't work with animals and children. <laughs> um, as it's Valentine's Day, and I didn't bring my wife a rose, I thought I'd bring one in church for everybody here, for all the ladies in the church. Happy Valentine's Day. And we're going to say a prayer for David. The service is about prayer this morning, and um, this is Psalm 86. And can you read that? If I read the words in black, will you respond with the words in red? Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. In the days of my trouble I will call to you, for you will answer me. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. But you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And we say all together, give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Thanks be to God. Now Miranda's going to come to read us from Matthew chapter 7 and verses 7 to 12. Matthew 7, 7 to 12. Ask, seek and knock. It will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Thank you, Miranda. Well, Kate asked me to lead this morning with a theme of prayer. Prayer in this season of Lent. The Bible has many messages about prayer, but let's remind ourselves what Lent is. 
What is Lent? That's a good question, isn't it? What is Lent? Preparation. It's the 40 days, isn't it? 40 days. Uh, it doesn't count Sundays. So it's uh, 40 days before uh, Ash Wednesday. It begins on Ash Wednesday and ends on Holy Saturday without Sundays. And the word comes from Lenten, which means spring. And the 40 days represents the time Jesus spent in the wilderness, enduring the temptation of Satan and preparing to begin his ministry. Lent is a time of repentance, fasting and preparation for the coming of Easter, a time of self-examination. And in the early church, Lent was a time to prepare new converts for baptism. Today, Christians focus on their relationship with God, often choosing to give up something or to, to volunteer to give of themselves to others. Sundays are not counted because each Sunday represents a mini Easter and the reverent spirit of Lent is tempered with joyful anticipation of the resurrection. Lent began as a way for Catholics to remind themselves of the value of repentance. The austerity of the Lenten season was seen as familiar, as similar to how people in the Old Testament fasted and repenting in sackcloth and ashes. Daniel 9, chapter 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. The parish church had um, a service on Ash Wednesday when uh, ashes were put onto the foreheads. I know Pat and Jan went, didn't you? You didn't, Jan did. <laughs> um, so the Christian churches of, that observe Lent in the 21st century, and not all do, use it as a time of prayer and penance. Only a small number of people today fast for the whole of Lent, although some maintain the practice on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. It's common these days for believers to surrender something they enjoy. Has anybody given up anything for Lent? <laughs> no? Nobody given up anything for Lent? I'm with you. <laughs> um, but we have done in the past, we've given up things for Lent. Whatever the sacrifice, it's a reflection of Jesus' deprivation in the wilderness and a test of self-discipline. So a time for prayer. A time for prayer. A four-year-old boy was asked to give thanks before Christmas dinner. The family members bowed their heads in expectation. He began his prayer thanking God for all his friends, naming them one by one. Then he thanked God for mummy, daddy, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa and all his aunts and uncles. Then he began to thank God for the food. He gave thanks for the turkey, the roast potatoes and the Christmas pudding. Then he paused and everyone waited and waited. And after a long silence, he looked up at his mother and asked, if I thank God for the Brussels sprouts, will he know I'm lying? <laughs> Jesus says many things about prayer. In Matthew 6, verse 9, he tells us how to pray. The prayer we said earlier, the Lord's Prayer. I like to have the Lord's Prayer when the children are in church because... These days, they may not have it at school. I know when I was young, in every assembly, we had 
the Lord's Prayer, but they don't have it in many schools now, do they? And church is the one place where they can hear it. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. In saying this, Jesus gave no how-to explanation. It is simply ask, seek, knock, and the door will be opened. There is no indication of a possibility of failure. Prayer does change things. But when we pray, is that that our experience? Can what Jesus says really be true? I know that prayer does work. Many of you will know that our daughter, Liz, was very sick at one time, uh, and we didn't know whether she would live. But through prayer, through the prayer for the surgeons and the doctors and her courage and resilience, she is still with us. And we know that prayer played a prominent part in that uh, healing. And yet we all probably ask something of God which we didn't receive. If we're deeply honest, making sense of unanswered prayer is not easy. Yet there are ways to approach this issue that can leave us with more peace and less anxiety. So what does Jesus mean when he says, ask and you will receive? God isn't like a a genie in the lamp who has to grant your wish or like a big vending machine you put some money in, the collection, and a prayer is answered. Jesus wants his hearers to be encouraged that God is good. He has already taught them how to pray, recognise God's holy nature. Hallowed be your name. May the will of God be done. Give us our daily needs. Forgive us and help us to forgive. Save us from temptation. He has already said that this is to be done, this is to be the focus of our prayers. We might detail our needs before God or ask for a better understanding of his will. But true, but that was the basic template in the Lord's Prayer. And here in chapter 7, Jesus didn't repeat that, I believe, because his intent here is to get people to start praying. God does want us to come to him for our needs and our wants. We mustn't be afraid to ask. Yes, our God is a holy God. He is a God who listens. Jesus taught us how to pray. And here in chapter 7, he doesn't repeat that because his intent is to get us to start praying. Ask, he says. When we ask, we're looking for information or help. We may think of it as expressing a wish or desire. Can I have a new car? Or please make the weather good for our picnic. A young girl was kneeling beside her bed with her mother and grandmother and softly saying her prayers. Dear God, please press mummy and daddy and all the family and please give me a good night's sleep. Suddenly she looked up and shouted, and don't forget to give me a doll's house for my birthday. There's no need to shout like that, said her mother. God isn't deaf. No, said the little girl, but grandma is. (laughs) The story is a great reminder to us that prayer isn't just a series of requests, but ultimately requires a more passionate desire on our part. Asking is the start, 
but it isn't the finish. Seek. Seeking is, more, is a more intense action. It's like going on a quest to discover a way to obtain the thing we desire. We seek solutions to problems. We seek to convince people to see things our way. We seek to understand. It's more than a simple question with a straightforward answer. Instead of just asking for lots of money, we investigate the ways we might go about getting it. Seeking is more passionate than mere asking. Knock. And when we have asked, and our question has set us on a quest to seek out the object of our desire, we learn along the way. We might even find it necessary to adjust our desires and requests as we gather information. But one day we see the answer before us. Our search is over. It is then that we must knock. Knocking is what we do when we finally reach the end of our quest. You don't go on an Easter egg hunt only to find the egg and walk away without eating it, or at least I don't. Maybe we knock on a few wrong doors along the way, but if we keep knocking, we will either receive that which we seek or we may find something even better. Our prayers are a journey, not a list of requests. So it is as simple to ask and you will receive. Is it? Yes and no. When Jesus says ask and you will receive, he doesn't say you will receive what you ask for, does he? I think that is because sometimes God has something far better in mind for us. And through our seeking and knocking, we can find out what that is. It is true that prayer changes things, And sometimes the thing that needs changing is us. If we allow our asking to turn into seeking and knocking, we will receive and find things that are perhaps even better than our initial request. But we will receive, and the best way to begin such a journey is simply to ask. So why don't we receive? Sometimes our asking doesn't produce receiving, at least not the way we anticipate In our seeking, we don't always find what we're looking for. What is it that keeps us from receiving? I'm sure we've all prayed for something or someone and our prayers have not been answered in the way we wanted. We are in good company. Even Jesus and Paul had unanswered prayers. Jesus prayed to be spared a violent death on the cross. My father, he pleaded, If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. But shortly after that, he was arrested, tried and executed. Three times Paul prayed for relief from a thorn in my flesh. But God's only answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. The thorn in his flesh remained. When Jesus said, ask and you will receive, He was simplifying things so so we could better understand the generous and loving nature of our God. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught that our prayer focus ought to be on discovering the will of God and fulfilling our daily needs rather than seeking out extravagant luxuries. Much of this teaching was assumed when God said, Ask and you will receive. What is true that God knows our every need before we ask. I believe he delights 
in our asking. So first and foremost, we want to receive, then we ought to ask. But do we ask with the right motives? In James 4 verse 3 it says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So in order for us to receive that for what we ask, we must be asking for that which God wants to give. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that this is revealed to us. When Jesus said, ask and you will receive, he encouraged us not to wait until we fully understand to begin asking, because it is in asking and seeking that we begin to understand the will of God. It is in our seeking that we begin to ask rightly. Trust God to give the breath, give the best. I think the key to understanding the whole ask, seek and knock trilogy is an issue of trust. Let's look at Jesus' words in verse 9 and the following. Which of you, if he is a son, asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Here Jesus compares two things that are very different in their inherent goodness, yet quite similar in their visual appearance. Middle Eastern flatbread and a flat stone can look quite similar, yet only one would be a good gift to a child. Which one's the stone and which one's the bread? Which one's the stone and which one's the bread? Bread on the left, yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, I've heard it said that there are some eel-like catfish that could be caught in the Sea of Galilee. And when fishing eels, sometimes called water snakes, we're often, caught with the f- we're often caught with the fish. One might look similar to another, but apparently some eels, if eaten uncooked, can cause you to die of internal bleeding due to a toxin in their blood. You can't see that very well, can you? I'm sorry about that, but... Which is which? That's a sea snake and that's an eel. Anybody eat an eel? (laughs) Very tasty. (laughs) Cooked properly. Yeah. So, I'm sure these eels are found in the Sea of Galilee or not, but certainly no good father would give them to his son, not these that are water snakes. While we are not so fortunate as, as to have good fathers, while we are not all so fortunate as to have good fathers in this world. And tragic news always surfaces of fathers who go far beyond giving rocks for bread in their failure to care for their children. When Jesus asked this question, who would give a stone for bread or a snake for fish, the rhetorical answer that is expected is a resounding no one. There are people in the world who know how to give good things. But the point is that no matter how good we are or how much good we do, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Our good pales in comparison. If our good falls far short in comparison to his good and we give good things, ought we not to expect that God will give good things too? The reason we are to ask, to seek, to knock is because we can... Trust God that he has great plans for us. 
we can expect that what he gives us will be good. Indeed, it will be great. Ask for good things. Now I imagine if a little boy asked Jesus for a rock to eat, he probably would give him bread. Even if we don't know how to ask or what to ask for, we can trust God to give us good things if we are faithfully seeking him. Part of the picture here is that the request is for something good. When we ask for something good, we will receive it. Our frustration comes when we think our requests are good, but God has something bigger in mind. And our conception of God isn't as big as he is. So in conclusion, God wants to give you good gifts. Above all, he wants to give you his spirit to guide you into all truth so that you can ask, receive, and your joy will be complete. God does not begrudge us our requests. He delights in giving to us without charge. In John's revelation, Jesus says, To him who is thirsty I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Whatever we need today, take it to God. And don't stop asking and seeking until we are satisfied. Come thirsty and come often. God's love for us is so much greater than our earthly parents' love for their children. His great love ensures that the answers we we will receive will be what is truly best. And this should give us confidence with our prayers, knowing that he will always listen. Of course our prayers should not always be about asking, but also thanking God for all he does for us. 1 Chronicles 16 verse 34 Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And a prayer to conclude with. I know you're watching over me and I'm feeling truly blessed for no matter what I pray for, you always know what's best. Amen. Well, I want to thank Michael for uh, playing for us this morning and for Pat and Miranda for reading and prayers. Uh, For John who um, swapped around my PowerPoint this morning uh, which uh, I made difficult for him. And uh, as we come to the end of our service, shall we hold hands and say the grace to one another? Let's join together as a church. Now, we've all got to get together and hold hands, so we're all one group. Yeah, I'll come in. There, we all join together. Bind us together, Lord, eh? Shall we say the grace to one another? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.